0: chapter 5 of lotus buds this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by alice jane lotus buds by amy wilson carmichael chapter 5 tara and evu our nurseries are full of contrasts but perhaps the two who are most unlike are the little Tara and Evu, aged, at the hour of writing, three years and two and a half. I am hammering at my typewriter when clear through its metallic monotony comes in distinct double treble, "Ama, Tala, Ama, Evu. They always announce each other in this order and with much emphasis. If it is impossible to stop. I give them a few toys, and they sit down on the mat exactly opposite my table and play contentedly. This lasts for a short five minutes, then a whimper from Tara makes me look up, and I see Evu, with a face of more mischief than malice, holding all the toys, Tara's share, and her own, in a tight armful, while Tara points at her with a grieved expression which does not touch Evu in the least. A word, however, sets things right, Evu beams upon Tara and pours the whole armful into her lap. Tara smiles forgivingly and returns Evu's share. Evu repentantly thrusts them back. Tara's heart overflows and she hugs Evu. Evu wriggles out of this embrace and they play for another five minutes or so without further misadventure. Only once I remember Evu sinned beyond forgiveness. The occasion was Pyrie's rag doll of smiling countenance, which had been badly neglected by the family. But Tara felt for it, and loved it. She was small at the time, and the doll was large, and Tara must have got tired of carrying it, but she would not tell it so, and for one whole morning she staggered about with the cumbersome beauty tilted over her shoulder, which gave her the appearance of an unbalanced but very affectionate parent. This was too much for Evu, to whom the comic appeals much more than the sentimental. She watched her opportunity and pounced on the doll. Tara gave chase, but Evu's fat legs can carry her faster than one would suppose, and Tara's wails rose to a shriek when across the garden's width she saw that ruthless sinner swing her treasure round by one arm and then deliberately jump on it. It was hours before Tara recovered. Such a breach of the peace is happily rare, for the two are a pretty illustration of the mutual attraction of opposites. At this moment they are playing ball. This is the manner of the game. Tara sits in a high chair and throws the ball as far as she can. Evu dashes after it like an excited kitten, and kitten-wise badly wants to tumble over and worry it, for it is made of bits of wool which, as every sensible baby knows, were only put in to be pulled out she resists the temptation however and presents the ball to tara with a somewhat inconsequent tenku tenku returns tara politely and tosses the ball again this time Evu sits down with her back to tara and proceeds to investigate the ball it is perfectly fascinating the ends are all loose and quite easily pulled out Evu forgets all about tara in her keen desire to see to the far end of this delight "'Evu!' comes from the chair in accents of dignified surprise. "'Tala!' exclaims Evu abashed and hurries up with the ball. "'Tanku!' she says as before, and Tara responds, "'Tanku!' This is an integral part of the game. If either forgets it, the other corrects her by remarking inquiringly, "'Tanku!' whereupon the echo replies in a tone of apology, "'Tanku!' Both these babies are devout, as most things Indian are, but Ivu cannot sit still long enough to be promoted to go to church. And perhaps this is the reason why in religious matters Tara takes the lead, for she does go to church. In secularities it is always Evu who initiates and Tara admiringly follows. The ball game was exceptional only because Ivu prefers the role of kitten to that of queen. This little characteristic is shown in common ways. The two are sitting on your knee entirely comfortable and content. The prayer bell rings. Down struggles Tara. To prayers I must go, she says with decision in Tamil. Evu too, urges Evu also in Tamil. Tum, says Tara in superior English and waits. Evu tums and they hastily depart. Or it is the time for evening hymns and good night kisses. We have sung through the chief favorites, ending always with Jesus, Tender Shepherd. Now sing, O oh, lovely lily, going in our garden. This from Tara. Echo from Evu. Yes, O oh, lovely lily, going in our garden. You point to the garden. It is dark. There are no lovely lilies to be seen. Besides, that is not exactly a hymn. Shall we have Jesus, Tender Shepherd, again and say good night? but this is not at all satisfactory. Tara looks a little hurt. Tender shepherd, no! Oh, lovely Lily! Evu wonders if we are making excuses. Perhaps we have forgotten the tune, and she starts it. Oh, lovely Lily, growing in our garden, who made a dress so fair for you to wear? Who made you straight and tall to give pleasure to us all? Oh, lovely Lily, who did it all? O oh, little children playing in our garden, God made this dress so fair for us to wear. God made us straight and tall to give pleasure to you all. O oh, little children, God did it all. Then Tara smiles all round and you are given to understand you have earned your goodnight kisses. Evidently, to Tara at least, there is a sense of incompleteness somewhere if the lovely lilies are excluded from the family devotions. To Tara and Evu, as to most babies, the garden is a pleasant place, but when they grow up and make gardens, they will not fill them with forbidden joys as we do. One of the temptations of life is furnished by inconsiderate ferns, which hold their curly infant fronds just within reach. Then there are crotons, with bright leaves aggressively yellow and delightful, and there are turnflowers, and the babies think us greedy in our attitude towards all these things. The croton was especially alluring, and one day Tara was found tiptoe on a low wall, reaching up with both hands, eagerly pulling bits of leaf off. She was brought to me to be judged, and I said, poor leaves. Shall we try to put them on again? And hand in hand we went to the garden, and Tara tried, but the pulled-off bits would not fit on again, and Tara's face was full of serious thought though she said nothing. Next day, she was found on the same low wall, reaching up tiptoe in the same sinful way to the shining yellow leaves overhead. Quite suddenly, she stopped, put her hands behind her back, and never again was she known to pick croton leaves to pieces. The same plan prevailed with the ferns. The poor little crumples of silver and green moved her to pity and she left them to uncurl in peace when once she had tried, and sadly failed, to help them. But the sunflower's feelings did not affect her in quite the same way. The kind we have in abundance is that little dwarf variety with a thin stalk and a cheerful face which smiles up at you even after you behead it and does not seem to mind. Tara was convinced such treatment did not hurt them. They would stop smiling if it did. But one day... She suddenly seemed to feel a pang of compunction, for she looked at the little useless heads and sighed. I had suggested their being fitted on again, as with the croton leaves and ferns, but this idea had failed. And what worked the change I know not, for Tara never told but tunflowers now are left in peace, so far as she is concerned, and she is learning to pick the free grasses and wildflowers, which happily grow for everybody, and to make sure their stalks are long enough to go into water, which is the last thing untutored babies seem to think important. There is much to be done for all our children, but perhaps for Tara especially, if she is to grow up strong in soul to fight the battles of life. We felt this more than ever on the day of our last return from the hills, after nearly seven weeks' absence. On the evening when we left them, we had gone round the nurseries after the little ones had fallen asleep and said good-bye to each of them without their knowing it. But when we came to Tara's mat and kissed the little sleeping face, she stirred and said, Amma, in her sleep, and we stole away, fearing she should wake and understand. Now in the early morning we were home again, and all the children who were up were on the veranda to welcome us, each in her own way. It was Tara's way which troubled us. At first most of the babies were shy, for six weeks are like six years to the very young. But soon there was a general rush and a thoroughly cheerful chatter. Tara did not join in it. She stood outside the little dancing dazzle of delight, the confusion of little animated colored dots is rather like the shake of a kaleidoscope. She just looked and looked. Then as we drew her close, the little hands felt and stroked one's face as if the evidence of eye and ear were not enough to make her sure beyond a doubt that her own had come back to her. And then as the assurance broke, she clung with a little cry of joy and suddenly burst into tears if only we could hold her safe and sheltered in our arms forever. How the longing swept through one at that moment, for the winds of the world are cold. But it cannot be, it should not be, for such love would be weak indeed. Rather do we long to embrace the gentle nature so that its very sensitiveness may change to a tender power, and the fountain of sweet waters refresh many a desert place. But who is sufficient for even this, Handle the little soul carelessly, harden rather than brace, misinterpret the broken expression, misunderstand the signs, and the sweet waters turn to bitterness. God save us from such a mistake. We covet prayer for our children. We want to know that around them all is thrown that mysterious veil of protection which is woven out of prayer. We need prayer, too, for ourselves, that our love may be brave and wise. Evo's disposition is different. It would not be easy to imagine Evu overcome by her feelings as Tara was at that hour of our return. One cannot imagine a kitten shedding tears of joy, and Evu is a kitten, a dear little Persian kitten, with nothing worse than mischief at present to account for. Of that there is no lack. Oh, it is Evu, we say, and everyone knows what to expect when it is Evu. Evu's chief sentiment that morning, so far as she expressed it, was rather one of wonder at our ignorant audacity. You vanished in the night when we were all asleep, and now you suddenly drop from the skies before we are properly awake and expect us all to begin again exactly where we left off? How little you know of babies! Doubtless this sentence was somewhat beyond her in language, but Evo is not dependent on language, and she conveyed the sense of it to us she backed out of reach of kisses and stood with a small finger upraised much as a kitten might raise its paw in mock protest to its mother she soon made friends however and proved herself an affectionate kitten though wholly unemotional when tara is naughty as she is at times like most people of only three a reproachful look brings her spirits down to the lowest depths of distress Evu is more inclined to hold up that funny little warning first finger and shake it straight in your face. This, at two and a half, is terrible presumption, but the brown eyes are so innocent you cannot be too shocked. Sometimes, however, the case is worse, and Evu tries to sulk. She sits down solemnly on the ground and throws her four fat limbs about in a dreadful recklessness, supposed to strike the grown-up offender dumb with awe and penitence. Sometimes she even tries to put out her lower lip, but it was not made a suitable shape, for it smiles in spite of itself. And then there is a sudden spring, and two little arms are round your neck, and you are being told, if you know how to listen, what a very tiresome thing it is to feel obliged to sin. Then, with a comforting sense of irresponsible kittenhood fully restored, Eveu discovers some new diversion, and you find yourself weakly wishing kittens need not grow into cats. End of chapter 5